0: Hey, Choo Crew, this is Vic, and I'm here to proudly announce that we are affiliates of The Subtle Nerd. The Subtle Nerd is a place where you can get all your modern nerding gaming geek lifestyle type shirts. They've got hoodies, they've got tank tops, they've got stuff for men and women. They've even got posters and mugs for all your nerd gaming needs. And the best part about all this is that you, our loyal listeners and followers, all get to benefit from this joint venture which means you get 10% off if you use the code CHEWPOD, C-H-E-W-P-O-D, all cap letters, you'll get 10% off your entire purchase. So what are you waiting for? All you have to do is just click the link in the ad description below, or you can just head on over to thesubtlenerd.com. We'll also have all the information you need posted and pinned on all of our social media websites. And again, head on over to The Subtle Nerd, and don't forget to use the coupon code CHEWPOD, So you get 10% off. Welcome to episode 379 of Chew On This, a Nerds United podcast, and I am here today flying solo because BJ decided he was better than us and not do this special episode. All jokes aside, he's doing something serious, so it's okay, but I I think BJ's tired of hearing this, but uh, I always say it, and since BJ's not here, I'm going to say it again. Anytime I get an interview, I always say... Uh, we always fail upwards because when we first did this show, started this show six or seven years ago, we never thought we'd get anybody to come on the show, let alone people who are actually working in the industry. You know, like I, I think our threshold was like local news, a local news, uh, caster and then cosplay was, I was like, okay, that's, you know, if that's all we get, then I'm completely okay with that. But we've had so many special guests, including Perry. And, but today, uh, and now I'm thinking about the four pronunciations of your name. I have a Erin Tran Donahue. Did I say it right? Erin? Yeah, okay. Yes. All right. And she is, uh, a, a, a screenwriter, a screenplay writer for, for Hollywood, of course. But most recently she had, I think the number one movie on Netflix when it debuted, it was tourist guide to, in the <laughs> world, not even just U.S. So we, we're here to talk about, talk to Erin about a tourist guide to love but first you know we do also internet stalking so i definitely internet stalked you to prepare for this interview and so for our listeners what i like to do is just usually you know if you could talk a little bit about your background because i read that article on pop sugar i think it's called pop sugar yes it's fascinating that that article was really fascinating to me and i i saw the movie first and then i read the article but if you could give a little bit of background of, of yourself and man, there's, there's so many things running through my head about that article. So if you just give our listeners just a little bit of background of, you know, maybe your college, uh, a little bit of your travels, because that's kind of important because that was in the article too. Um, I thought it was fascinating that you actually lived in a VW van for a little bit, which I thought was amazing. Uh And and how you met your husband? Just uh, there's so many things going on that I want to talk to you about. So if you could give a little bit about your background, please.
1: Okay, yeah, no problem. It's a uh, like it's a long, it's a bit of a long story. You know, people always ask me, they're like, "Oh, tell me a little bit about yourself," and I'm like, "Hold on, just sit back and relax because it's it's a lot." But uh, yeah, I grew up in Rhode Island, a little town called Barrington, Rhode Island, just outside of Providence. And my mother's Vietnamese, and my father is sort of Boston Irish Catholic, and. I'm the youngest of six kids in seven years. Um, I also have an older Vietnamese half-brother. And I, you know, I just grew up in this small town. I grew up loving movies. I wanted to be an actor when I was really young. And then I was in high school and I worked at a video store and it was the 90s and I thought I was going to be Quentin Tarantino. And then I went to Brown and took a film course and uh, it was all theory. And I was like, I don't want to talk about the patriarchal discourse of hegemonic society and the male gaze. <laughs> I want to like talk about the goonies and characters and stories and stuff. So I ended up actually being a Latin American history major. Um, because I found a professor that I loved and I took all of his classes. And to me, history is stories. And so I just love stories and I love storytelling. Anyway, uh, so I, and I took a lot of writing classes. Um, so I took a lot of like creative nonfiction memoir stuff and uh, wrote a lot of short stories and then after i graduated i started traveling um my sister mora who married perry young my brother-in-law uh who's the one that who, who connected me to you um they got married in vietnam they did a traditional vietnamese wedding ceremony at my family's home in guangai and it was my first time there ever it was my father's first time back since the war it was crazy and intense and beautiful and really just opened up a whole, uh new part of my identity and a connection to Vietnamese culture that I had never understood before that I had felt, but didn't understand was because I was Vietnamese until I was in Vietnam. Uh, and then that winter I went back with my sister, Maura. She had gotten a grant from the Rockefeller foundation. She's a modern dancer, choreographer. And, uh, she got to bring me along as her assistant. So there I was, you know, heading off on this, you know, great trip and everything. And my college boyfriend, my safe, sweet, stable college boyfriend, two days before I went on this trip, broke up with me. And I was not expecting that to happen. And so I was totally heartbroken. And I went to Vietnam. And then about halfway through, I suddenly realized that that was the best thing that, you know, could have happened to me because I was on a path that really wasn't where I wanted to go i wasn 't really I was very sort of domestic and had sort of settled into this vision of what my life was going to be, and suddenly realized that I wanted more than that and then i we were in Hanoi and we walked into a bar and there were a restaurant there was nowhere to sit and there were four backpacker dudes sitting at a table and they offered a seat to their table and one of them happened to be a dreamy Canadian surfer who became my holiday. He was supposed to be my holiday flame. (laughs) And we spent the week together and he was this like super adventurous, you know, easygoing, fun-loving, curious, passionate person that sort of solidified that belief in me that I was, uh, I was meant for bigger things or a bigger life or that I wanted more out of life than just, you know, the white picket fence life that I'd been sort of heading towards. And, uh, so then when I left, I thought I'd never see him again. And just thought I would just like take that lesson and, you know, go live my wildlife. Right. And then that summer I was driving cross country by myself for four months and I was in Seattle and he's from Banff up in the Canadian Rockies. And I went to go visit him thinking it would be like a, you know, like a three day booty call or something. And, <laughs> uh, and I stayed for a month and that was 22 years ago. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty incredible way to meet your partner and my parents, my parents had also met and fallen in love in Saigon during the war. So we've got two generations going on of, uh, of making, you know, finding your, your true love in Vietnam. And then we just started traveling. Basically we, he was in Canada and I was in the U S and we couldn't work in either country. And we both wanted to travel. So we ended up moving to Japan, doing this thing called the jet program and teaching English in Japan for two years. And I was on a little Island off the coast of Nagasaki called Kamigoto, and it was amazing. It was beautiful and such an incredible experience, like really like living in Japan, like the Inaka countryside, fishing island. Half these kids never even went to Nagasaki, you know, much less anywhere else in the world. And so to be welcomed into that community and see it from the inside and to see a version of Japanese life that most, um, most people never get to see was just breathtaking. Um, and so that was wonderful. And then we... Left after two years, spent some time in Indonesia, just sort of, you know, backpacking, surfing. And then, then we decided we wanted to sail around the world. So we went to South Africa and got our offshore yacht master sailing certification. So that was me and seven dudes on a boat for four months. And that was really intense. And we sailed through a hurricane and, um, yeah, it was wild. Like <laughs> there was like, uh, 80 knots of wind and 30 foot swell and our engine gave out and, it was just really scary and um I felt you know, we felt pretty badass afterwards when we oh made God. it through, got off of that and then <clears throat> so we did that and then came back to Rhode Island for my sister's wedding and uh three of my sisters were pregnant and my dad was sick and so our plan of, you know, traveling around the world and sailing sort of got cut short because I decided to stay. And cause I'd just been gone for so long and they needed help. So I stayed, he went and worked on a yacht in the Caribbean and I bounced around from sister to sister and my parents. And in that year decided that if I was going to keep telling people, I was going to be a writer that I should probably write something. So (laughs) I was like, Oh
2: shoot, like (laughs) I
1: should probably write something. Uh, so I wrote a novel and, uh, over the course of the year and then never got it published because you know your friend of a friend has an agent you send it and then you wait for like four months and you're like i'm gonna like i'm gonna sell the book it's gonna be a best-selling like new york times bestseller and then they like reject you and then you do it like again and you wait another four months and they reject you and
0: um, what was the the book about
1: so it was a semi-autobiographical novel as most first novels often are and it's about uh the relationship every chapter is a different relationship in this girl's life uh starting with like the very first boy when you're like seven and he's your friend and then all of a sudden you realize that like girls and boys being friends like was weird and they're like oh he's your boyfriend and um and so yeah each chapter and it's called a history of boys and when i told my boyfriend at the time the concept he was like how many chapters do you have (laughs) (laughs) you're i was like you're the happy ending baby um (laughs) But I, uh, I did threaten him that I would write a sequel if he ever fucked around and that it would be called A Future of Men. And
0: <laughs> so you were, you were so, doing, you were doing Taylor Swift before Taylor Swift. Yes. Taylor definitely. Swift. <laughs> all of that.
1: All of that. Um, right. but, uh, yeah. And so then after a year of basically not seeing him, I was like, you know, fuck that. I can't do this anymore. We need to be together. So I proposed and I got a ring, everything. I put a ring on it. And then we did our uh we ended up doing our green a green card ceremony.
0: How did how did he take that? How oh, he, he loved take... it. Oh, did he? He was like,
1: "Oh, yeah." I mean, we it was like we had been together for so long at this point. We knew we were going to get married. We had sort of planned to be together, but neither one of us felt the need to like get married. Like I don't know if I even legally would have gotten married if I didn't need a green card. And so we're talking about getting a green card and getting married to get a green card, but we weren't like engaged. And then I was like, I had this perfect proposal in my head, but I didn't know how to get it into his head without telling him. And then I was like, oh, wait, you're a fucking feminist. Why would you ever wait for a man to propose to you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? And also a side story, Maura proposed to Perry. So, um, it's like, apparently it's in my blood that
0: I did not know <laughs> that I'll, I'll have to talk to Perry about that. Yeah. Next time.
1: <laughs> runs in the family, a right. bunch of feminists. Um, but That's yeah, awesome. it was like, I, it's actually a personal movement. I want to start where like women propose to men more. Cause I'm like, why would you, if you want to marry someone, you should just ask them. And if they say no, it's the same risk that a man takes when he asks a woman to right. marry them. If they say, if you, they say no, they say no. Like, so why would you wait for a man to be the one that gets to decide? That you're spending your life together, um, and for my husband, he was like, "Sweet, like take the pressure off me." He has no no qualms about like. How did, how did you to,
0: ask him? Did you just pop the question, or did you plan something?
1: I planned this whole thing. It was.
0: I, I have to know. I have to know. I have. To know. Um.
1: Okay, so he's like I said, he's Canadian. He's from Banff, and uh, there, right outside of Banff, is uh, well, I mean, it runs through the whole Rockies, but there's a thing called the Continental Divide which is the point in the Rocky Mountains where the water flows east or west. And so, like, outside of Banff, there's a parking lot and a rest area and, like, a hiking trail, and they have an actual sign that says, like, Continental Divide is, like, right here, east, west. Right. And we had previously in our relationship <clears> had this, like, really special, romantic, amazing moment at the Continental Divide. So it had always held a, a special place for me and just the idea that I'm from the east coast and he's from the west coast. So uh, we were driving back from a friend's house, and I pretended, and it was in the middle of... The, it was like in the middle of winter. And uh, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. We need to stop at this rest area. And he's like, okay. And then I like pulled him out of the car and like pulled him over to the sign, and made him stand on the western side and I stood on the eastern side. And I got down on one knee and I proposed. Um, and he said yes. And then, and here's my other thing. And then I gave him the ring because I think that engagement rings are basically like bribes <laughs> and that like you shouldn't be looking at a ring when someone asks you to marry them. You should be looking at their face and you shouldn't get the, you shouldn't even see the ring. Now after. what
0: what kind of ring does a does a man get cuz it's not a diamond ring so like no. what kind of ring did you get him?
1: I got him a band that I bought in Banff. It was like engraved um and it has a uh, like wolves on it actually cuz it's like the sign of loyalty and family. Um so there were like some wolves and like wolf symbols engraved on this like silver band.
0: For some reason I don't know why but you had mentioned Goonies and I thought mm-hmm you had gotten a ring that had Goonies on it with like a skull that said Goonies forever. Wow. I, oh, I know it's so ridiculous. That's
1: not the, that's not the so ridiculous. Ring. That's a wedding ring.
0: But because you mentioned <laughs> Goonies, I was like, wonder if it was like a Goonies thing. It was a but- Goonies
1: ring. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sloth, um, you know, did our wedding. Um, but yeah, no. So, so then we got, uh, so we did our green card ceremony. We, but we didn't tell anyone uh, except for our family we didn't tell anyone that we had gotten married. We just said we were engaged um, because we were still planning on having a wedding later. And to me, it was just a piece of paper. Right. And uh, the only time you can throw, I wanted a wedding, even if I wasn't like for years, even if I knew I wasn't going to get married, I wanted to have a wedding. Cause it's the only time you get to have a party and people feel required to come. So like, they're not going <laughs> to fly in, you know, they're going to fly in for like my July 4th barbecue, but my July 4th wedding, they will fly in from around the world. You know, if I say well, I'm getting married,
0: if you have a layout, of food like you did that, like they did in, in tourist guide to love. <laughs> I will fly to your, I will fly to your okay. barbecue.
1: All right. Cause we do that. <laughs> we do that shit out, out east. Um, at my mom's house, uh, just on the regular. That's like, I'm a, my mom's. I'm, That's like I'm every dinner at my mom's house. I'm basically. originally
0: from the East coast. I'm from Jersey, Where? actually okay. from Jersey, from New Jersey. Yeah. And I actually went to school in Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, we-
1: Where'd you go? Cause I drive
0: through. Uh, in Springfield, there's a, there's a small, I, I played football and there's a small uh, division two school or it was division two when I went there. Um, it's called It Amer- Well, it was called American international college.
2: Okay. And I think,
0: I think their, their mascot was the, it's the yellow jackets. I think the okay. was, what's that? So right. Like literally exit four. Right, yeah.
1: Like right like there. As
0: soon as you get into Massachusetts, exit four Springfield's yeah. right there. That's, right, right in that area. That's also where I found out that for some reason they cut pizza into squares in Springfield, Massachusetts, like around pizza. Into
1: squares? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's so the dumbest right. even Domino's does it. It's so weird.
2: <laughs> like, I remember it's like getting weird a
0: vortex of, <laughs> yeah, it's the dumbest thing in the world because like when you cut a slut, you know, you cut a pizza, yeah. you get a normal slice like triangle slice yeah but when you cut it into squares it's not all even because the best slices are in the middle but you don't get any crust to hold on to but then you get these stupid slices where it's bread and like a little sliver of tomato sauce with nothing else on it it's the dumbest thing in the world also that's where i found out what a grinder was
1: oh yeah
0: i thought i was like i you know i was there on a recruiting visit and there's an Italian rest, uh, Italian mom and pop place there, and I'm like, all right, I'll go in, and you know, I'm I'm gonna get like a normal thing, and all of a sudden I see yeah. grinder on the menu. I'm like, ooh, what's that? Because I'm like a adventurous <laughs> eater, right? Yeah. You know, growing up Asian, I I've eaten like Asian chicken things. feet and stuff like yeah. that, right? So I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna try grinder, and then they come out with it, and it was just a chicken it's just, parm sub. It's and a I was sub. like, wait a minute, that's a su-. like. He's like, oh so yeah, that's Hogi's, what we call yeah. It like, but Hogi's I didn't know grinders. what that was. Well, back then, again showing my age, they didn't yeah. have the internet, so I couldn't look up yeah. what grinder was. <laughs> So You're I like just... I
1: didn't know that it was a a gay male dating site, like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> at an Italian restaurant.
1: <laughs> like, is this a code word for something?
0: Right, right. <laughs> I, I got it, and I was so disappointed that it was just a sub. So Yeah. I know, anyway, all of so... and
1: there's like what cabinets and milkshakes and, um, like in Rhode Island we call water fountains bubblers. Like we're like one of the only places oh, okay. in the, in the I think, or there's also like randomly a place in Wisconsin or Michigan or something that also calls them bubblers, but like, you know, like the water to drink out of, like, yeah, yeah. it was like, oh, the only bubblers
0: I know is, is for, for weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <no>. <laughs> it was called, yeah. Like the bubbler. Like you'd be like, oh, can I go get a drink from the bubbler? Like at school, like in the hallway. I've when never they, heard you know, that before either. Yeah, so Rhode
0: I, I probably would have been the same thing. I'd be like, oh, a bubbler. I want to a drink bubbler. out of the bubbler. Yeah. And like, oh, and this then, is uh, just a water fountain.
1: Sprinkle, like ice cream sprinkles are called Jimmy's in Rhode Island.
0: I think I know, I think I knew that one.
1: Yeah. I think
0: I, I think I might've known the Jimmy's thing. I probably from a TV show or a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. All sorts of local,
1: <laughs> but yeah. no. Okay. So no Goonies ring. Then uh, I'm like, where was I? Where was I? I? was like, how did we start talking about this? We started talking about the Goonies ring. Um, And then, uh, oh yeah. So then we, oh, then, <laughs> then we moved in with my parents. So um, we ended up, living with my parents in Rhode Island for like five months and I got a job while we were waiting for the green card to come through and I got a job bartending in my town and I was freelance writing and nannying and tutoring and all of those things that you do, you know, while you're trying to be a writer. And then my, and we eventually got our own place in the, you know, in the town next to my parents. And my husband got a job working as a Marine electrician and uh, at a boatyard and so we were there for three years and it was great. It was wonderful. Had a really good life. Uh, got into boxing, <laughs> trained as a boxer, uh, ran a marathon, did our real wedding. We did a, a, a destination wedding in Cabo San Lucas with, you know, friends and family. And then after three years, um, my husband was doing a yacht delivery because, uh, rich people don't move their yachts around themselves. They want their are they're yacht. They'll be like, okay, we're in, you know, the Bahamas, but like next month, I want it to be in Jamaica, and so then they like hire people beyond the regular crew to like help like move the boat around. So that was what my husband did. He would go around and and help rich people move their yachts around.
2: Yeah,
0: so he's I, mean, gone I hate, for, I hate yeah. when I have a yacht on different coasts and I have to hire people <laughs> for it. It's-
1: such a pain it's, it's um, <laughs> also a pain
0: for helicopters too <laughs> yes
1: and uh so then he was gone for six weeks and i was like oh you know what i should write a screenplay i'd never written a screenplay like i said it had always been my first love um movies and stuff so but it always seemed like when am i gonna like what move to la and get an agent it just seemed weird It just like i was gonna write novels i was gonna i was from the east coast i was gonna i don't know, live on the east coast go to new york write a novel and just that was how i was gonna be a writer hmm but I was like, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. So I got some books on how to write screenplays, and I read some screenplays, and I wrote a screenplay. And then I entered it into the um, the Nickel Fellowship, which is run by the Academy Awards, and it's sort of like the most prestigious like amateur screenwriting competition. And uh, right at that time, so I entered it, and right after that, basically, my husband and I decided that we weren't really living the life we wanted to be living, so we sold everything we owned and we got into our 73 V Dub van and we spent the next year and a half driving around the US and Canada. And um along the way I made it to the semifinals.
0: How how old were you at this point when you decided to get into the van and just drive around? This, uh, I th- the I think
1: I was like thirty one or thirty two. Let me see. Like uh I'm trying to think. I, I always have to go back to like my niece who was born like the year after. I'm like, how old is she? She's like 13. So it was like 14 years. Yeah. So like 31, uh-huh. 31, 32. Um, and we were just like, you know, ready for the next, next adventure. And uh didn't really know what it was. So when we left Rhode Island, we thought maybe we, we had enough money for like five months. We were sort of like, oh, we'll be on the road for five months. And we'll just sort of see. We didn't say we weren't coming back, but we didn't say we were coming back. It was just sort of like, we're just going to see what happens. And, uh, and so, yeah, like we drove like two of my brothers lived up in the Bay area. We had friends in Los Angeles, his family's up in, you know, Western Canada. So we were sort of just looping around Western Canada. Like we, you know, we drove across and then sort of kept like sort of looping and then we'd stop and maybe we'd get a sublet for like a month or I'd stay with my brother and my husband would go do a yacht delivery. So like to make more money, he would just, you know, go work for a month and then come back. And, uh, along the way I made it, through to the semifinals of the nickel and eventually uh through a friend was connected to my manager. And he we met up and he was like, you know, I love your script, let's work together. But if you really want to do this, you have to move to LA. And I was like, well, we're parked down the street, so done. Like, I guess I guess we're here. Like, I guess we're staying. And we did. And yeah, that was probably like 12 years ago. And I luckily basically started, I started selling like within the year. Um, wow. I, so I got an agent through my manager. He found me an agent and then took out a couple scripts and didn't sell those scripts, but then got a lot of meetings. And through one of those meetings, I sold a, a feature college comedy, female college comedy pitch to Lionsgate. And then, which never got made. Um, and that's the thing. Of, for people don't know that even if you do manage to sell something half the stuff never gets made right, um right. but it got me into the writers guild and so that was sort of the start of my you know professional screenwriting career and then I sold uh or I, I was hired to do a rewrite for a movie for MTV where they it was a teen comedy Teen uh, romantic so comedy called ladies man ladies man yeah right. it was ladies man a made movie where that i don't know if you remember that reality show made where yeah it was like the kid wanted to be you know like the the band geek wanted to be a cheerleader and they'd get her a coach and then like she'd like try out for the cheerleading squad and right. so that they, was
0: around the time where MTV stopped being mtv
1: yeah and they just made all those reality shows but then they right. wanted to make movies out of those storylines so they made one out of the band geek becomes a cheerleader and then the other big storyline was the geek who becomes a ladies man. they would you know make over these geeks and turn them into ladies man so i wrote the you know the movie version of that and then um and then yeah like over the years i just sold i sold some pilots i sold a my first tv pilot uh to abc studios called borington which was based on barrington where i grew up and about a half vietnamese woman who moves back home with her. Mom and, you know, Navy Irish dad and gets a job bartending and, you know, a bunch of her other friends have also moved back home. And that, you know, again, never got made, but, um, all of, you know, all of those projects that don't get made, they, I kind of want to see
0: that show though.
1: Oh my God. It's like my favorite script. And, and part of me, I don't even know how it works if I could get it back or bring it out because at the time, um, Olivia Munn was the only bankable a comedy half Asian actress, mm. and the newsroom got picked up for a second season, so she was like not gonna be even an option, and so then it was just that was it. So it was
0: Olivia like, Munn was gonna play. No, she you? was never. She was never attacked oh, oh, But it was oh, like okay. it was sort oh, of okay.
1: like we were like when we were in the process of trying to like <clears throat> get it sold to like you know the studio bought it, but then you have to get it onto the network. You know like the, we, where where they pick up pilots, they like buy all, all right. these pilots. And then they decide what to make. And right at the moment when they were sort of like, should we move forward with this? We had never even gotten to the point of reaching out to her, and, but she became okay. unavailable. And so it was just like that. I mean, that's sort of what I understood happened. I was not behind the okay. scenes of everything, but it was like, she at that point, cause that's the, the conversation we were all having was like, well, we could get her right. Like all maybe right. she, and then when she wasn't available, it was like at that time, there were no other half Asian actresses really that were high profile enough for a, a, a network. It's pretty I mean, sad. It's yeah, pretty sad. I know. And it's amazing that now there are so many wonderful half Asian actresses that I do feel like could, um, you know, could headline a show like that. So right. we'll see <laughs> who knows. Cause I love that. Cause I really, cause my mom is like the best. And I feel like to get the, the little Vietnamese mom on a sitcom, like, the little Asian mom.
0: Is, yeah. Like, I love, character. I love the grandmother in, in your movie. in, <laughs> yeah. in Guide La- I love the grandmother and I also love the, the grandmother in Nora. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. In, from Queens. Yeah. Nora, Nora from, from Queens. Queens. I yeah.
0: love the grandmother in that one. She was of course, like she was the first time I ever saw her. I think she was on Roseanne, I think a long time ago. Yeah. I think that was the first time I ever saw her, but But yeah, the the Asian grandmother in a like even in the farewell, the the grandmothers great in that. I mean,
1: totally. The little old like the older Asian woman. I just I feel bad for everyone who doesn't have a
0: little Asian mom. Shang Chi, even in (laughs) Shanghai, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going through all like the. It's that
1: balance of like the toughness, but the sweetness and the cuteness, and like the they will kick your ass, but they're loving. They're not
0: shy either. Yeah, no filter.
1: Oh my god, my mom, no filter. She can say whatever she wants, especially because the town that I grew up in, we were the only, or one of very few Asian families. Right. So like, she was like, everyone knew who she was. Like everyone knows, everyone knows who my mom is. Right. She's like the one woman of Vietnamese mafia and (laughs) everyone loves her. And I mean, they should, she's amazing, but like, she can say anything to anyone and they take it like with love. Whereas like if a white lady said that they'd be like, excuse me, Karen, like <laughs> right. you need to back off." you know, but like my right, mom right. says it and they're like, Oh my God, that's so sweet. And I'm like, "Mom, it's
0: something about help. the accent too. Right. Yeah. When it, <laughs> like she's so I,
1: cute. Right. Right. They don't,
0: <laughs> I, my mom, I'm where we grew up, um, in, in New Jersey, it was really white suburbia. Like there was no other Asian people around. And if they, if there were, we knew who they were. That's how, Pathetic. Mm -hmm. The diversity was where I grew up. But my mom would, uh, growing up, she would every Chinese New Year invite all of my, you know, friends and neighbors, all of them white, to have Chinese New Year at my house. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that all these white people had Chinese food that was actually authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, like you didn't get the giant thick ass egg roll that was just filled with cabbage. You know, like that had nothing else in it. They got the little thing that looked like spring rolls, but it, you know, it had like, you know, shiitake mushrooms Mm -hmm. and cabbage and carrots, but like also pork in it too, like actual pork. So like, and it's funny because like, even after I moved to the West coast, one of my best friend's sisters, um, messaged me over Facebook and asked for the recipe for the egg rolls because she's like, I've been talking about your mom's egg rolls ever since we were like eight.
1: Oh my god, that is exactly what happens to me because my mom, again, like she is an amazing cook. She's like ridiculous. She can cook anything and everything. And growing up, at first, like we didn't actually have a lot of Vietnamese food because she was like trying to make us American, and there weren't a lot of like Asian markets for her to buy ingredients at and everything. But then she would though. We would always have chaya, which are like the basically like the Vietnamese fried spring rolls, like you know, like the Vietnamese egg roll, I guess if you would call it, like with in the clear rice paper, you know, yeah, 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 pork and the shrimp and. They're so good. And my mom would make them for, you know, special occasions. And so we would love them. And then so every once in a while she'd make those at, you know, parties and everyone would like freak out. And then she started making like more and more Vietnamese food. But I mean, yeah, people I get in touch with on Facebook, you know, it's been 20 years and they're like, Oh my God, your mom, <laughs> your mom's food. Like I Sorry. miss your mom's food, but she has, she has actually written a cookbook. My goodness. Oh, cool. On Amazon <laughs> called my goodness. <laughs> oh, um, nice. And she find like she wrote a cookbook cause, uh, she's just, like her food is just amazing and people, and she would come into college when I, so I was at Brown and t- I grew up 10 minutes away from there. My mom would come in every year for my birthday and cook for like 50 of my friends and just like make these like giant feasts of food. Oh God, that and sounds so, so good. Yeah. All of my friends are like, can I come to you? Even my mom actually. So the boyfriend that broke up with me before I went to Vietnam, um, I didn't tell my parents that we had broken up because I was like, this is too much. Right. Like I saw them, like we saw them cause he drove me into New York. So like we saw them right before he left. We just pretended I didn't want her worrying. Right. So mm. my, my mom still holds a grudge against him because while I was gone, he went to the house for dinner and she was like, he broke up with you and he <laughs> come to my house and he eat my food. And oh my God. I can't believe he, not, he eat my food. And I was like, Oh my God. That should say that's a that's a compliment, Mom.
0: Right, right.
1: Like, he that's how good your food is.
0: Right. <laughs> he wanted to
1: get like one last that, meal. That, in is, there.
0: that is pretty ballsy though. <laughs> that is pretty freaking ballsy.
1: Well, to to his credit, because we are we are friends, um, and he's a good guy. Uh he thought we would get back together. Like he broke up oh, with okay. me, but he wanted to get back together with me. It was a it's a long story, but like at that point, I think he and his head thought we're just on a break. You know, like well, we that- will eventually get back together and I will get this food for the
0: rest of my life. <laughs> so instead yeah. of like so instead of like breakup sex. Yeah, break, yeah it's up like break, break up yeah, mom's Mom, food. Break mom's Vietnamese food? Yeah. Breakup.
1: break up chaya. Yeah yeah. Like, <laughs> just one last. He's like, it's
0: just one No one breakup sex, chaya. I just want. I just want to chaya. Yeah just yeah me. just give me that <laughs> it's that time of the show where I ask you to review our show on itunes and facebook on itunes you can just look us up at chew on this a nerd united podcast and on facebook once again that is at chew on this podcast so please head on over and give us one of those nice five-star reviews and tell us how we changed your life and made it for the better and now back to the show Well, that's a good segue because I, I wanted to talk le- now that we've gotten, you know, kind of close to where we are in your career. I, you know, again, like internet stalking you, your, your, your IMDb has a lot of, uh, rom-coms. Is that something you gravitated towards? Um, because yeah. your, your story is, your story is fascinating. I'm sure people have told you this before, but it's pretty fucking fascinating. You were on a boat. You lived in a VW ba- van on purpose traveling. <laughs> like you've been all over almost all over like, I mean, you've traveled way more than I have. I mean, it's just what is it about the rom com or the romantic storytelling that draws you? Is it more because of your, you know, because of your parents? Like your parents have a fascinating love story. You have a fascinating love story. Is that, is that like a heavy I mean, influence
1: on you? I think so. And part of it is, uh, I love romantic comedies. I love, love, you know, and I was that girl that growing up, I never had a boyfriend. I was the, I was the guys, you know, the guy's girl. Like I had a lot of guy friends. I was in love with everyone and no one felt the same back. And they were all in love with my sister, Eileen. Uh, And they would talk to me about <laughs> how hot she was and how much they loved her. Um, And I just never had a boyfriend. So I used to like watch these rom-coms and be like, someday I'm going to find my love, you know, like someday. And so I just, I don't know, love is a thing for me. I love love. And I love, uh, making other people believe in love because I think it's such a powerful force. I think it's the most powerful force. And so I gravitate towards stories that bring joy into people's life and that make them feel good because I want that. I want to, like, I do watch dramas and I do watch those, but, but not as much, definitely not as much anymore. It's a lot harder for me to like want to willingly put myself into a space where I feel Scare like I don't watch horror movies or you know psychological thrillers or movies where kids get kidnapped or women get raped. It's like violent things are are hard for me to watch now because I'm just at a point in my life and where I'm like I I don't want that energy. I I take in energy really. I'm a hippie like voodoo woman, pagan whatever. (laughs) But like I I, the crystals and stuff. Um, But like I uh, I I feel energy. A lot and I am very emotional and so I hold on to that energy and so it, it takes a lot out of me when I watch sort of like movies that tear you apart and I, I'd, I'd rather watch something that leaves me feeling good and fills me with a belief in love and joy and um, and also I like to make people laugh so I started when I started writing it was more like the R-rated comedy like uh, Bridesmaids is like one of my favorite movies ever like uh, a female R, R-rated female comedy was my original sort of genre
2: I love that. that movie. I wrote
1: in. Yeah. And, um, but then people pay me <laughs> to write, um, rom-coms and they pay me to write Christmas movies. And so, and, you know, and the market for that is Hallmark and Lifetime and Netflix. And so they are milder. The ones that get, have gotten produced are uh, a little bit milder than necessarily what I would kind of more naturally write. Uh, my stuff that I could write on my own is usually like a little bit edgier. Um, but, at the same time i as someone who watches those types of movies as well and can see the value in them um I'm really happy to write those movies because especially in the past couple of years, after you know like the pandemic and and the way that the world is, people find comfort in these types of movies, and so for me, that genre, I get very defensive about it because it's always so uh, dismissed, rom-com as a genre or like chick flicks or Hallmark movies. It's like people like maybe they'll say as a guilty pleasure and like like you have to feel guilty and, and ashamed that you would like that. And for me, it's always about the patriarchy and about the fact that uh, things that are considered feminine are devalued. And that, like, a Marvel action movie that might not necessarily have any more psychological social depth is somehow heralded and, and seen as, like, a, a worthy, um you know, story being told. Whereas, like, a a big rom-com is not worthy of that type of praise or that type of energy or attention. And it's because it's it's feminine. And the things that women enjoy in the market is mostly women. And so that market is not given respect and not valued. And especially something like a Hallmark movie where um, that, that are like definitely like lighter and like lower conflict or like smaller worlds. But like my mom, you know, my dad has Parkinson's and dementia and she would spend all day taking care of him. And then he goes to bed and what she wants at that moment is comfort. She wants a movie that's not going to stress her out too much. She wants something that's familiar and that's predictable so that if she falls asleep, which she almost always does because she's exhausted, you know, that she can wake up 15 minutes later and, and, and follow it. And, and so watching those movies with her and when, and writing those types of movies, you know, writing the Christmas movies for lifetime, the feedback that I get from people about watching them and the joy that they, and they're like, Oh, I watched this with my mom or I watched it with my kid. Like the value of that is so important. And I respect that audience so much and the, and women and moms and what they go through during the day. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I know especially when my kid was younger, when my kid went to bed, when I finally put my kid to bed, I could not watch a serious dark movie, drama, whatever. Like all I wanted was a light rom-com so that I could just relax and chill out and feel comforted and laugh and see people fall in love and do silly things. And so that for me, it's not that I don't ever want to, like there are darker things and I do have dramas and there are other stories that I've worked on, but the majority of the time, especially because when you're writing, you're living inside your head all day. I don't want to live in dark places all day. Right. I want to live, I want to live in the light. <clears throat> I want to live in a place of where I'm thinking like, how can I make, you know, like trying to make people laugh or um, make people fall in love. And so those are, very often the messages at the heart of my movies, besides just romantic comedy, it's about learning how to love yourself. It's about opening yourself up to risk. It's about opening yourself up to experience and joy and finding that, uh, sense of purpose through love.
0: I can, I can totally understand that because I was a stay at home dad for five or six years. And so like I, you know, roles were reversed, uh, with me where I, And I was the stay at home dad during the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. I was, I was doing the teaching. I was, you know, making sure they had schoolwork done and all that stuff. Basically a a tutor while being a dad and doing all that. Um, I didn't do the, the, the rom-com. I did more escapism type Mm -hmm. stuff, like fantasy movies, obviously comic book, comic book movies and stuff like that. But the, the message and the, the reason why I did that is identical to what you were saying about I like I I remember one there was this one I forget the, I'm drawing a blank now but there were, it was about the Central Park 5 mm-hmm. I think it was on Netflix and I didn't want to watch it because I knew that it was going to piss me off and I was going to be angry about what happened to these kids but I knew it was going to be fantastic so I I forced myself to watch it it did put me in a bad space because of how angry I was at the system and obviously still goes on today. But I, I understand what you're saying about not wanting to be in that world because I, I think it happened. I don't think that came out during the pandemic, but I was definitely a stay-at-home dad when that show came or when that mini-series came out. I think on it was Netflix. And I had to force myself to watch it because I knew it would be fantastic, but I didn't yeah. want to. There's a lot of times where there's drama stuff that I will just let it sit in the queue. Cause I don't want to deal with how yeah, dark I get, or deep it is.
1: I get all those, like the Oscar screeners and I never watch them. all the like, <laughs> well, if I can go to a screening when they have, if I can go to a theater and watch it, then I will watch that type of movie because I'm like in that world, I've made the choice right, to right. go out there. You're in the theater and it's like, it's not like me in my living room, like seeing the dirty laundry and the clothes and the everything, you know, like, <laughs> and just being like, I just want to go to bed on my couch. Um, so but like, yeah, I'll get those movies, and I'm like, okay, oh yeah, and I'll get excited when it comes in the mail, and I'm like, I'm totally gonna watch this. And then, like, that 830, 9 o'clock rolls around, my kids in bed, I never choose to watch. I'm never gonna choose nope, to watch. I will that. watch
0: The Office like sixteen yeah. times over before like, I HBTV. start. TV,
1: like I am yeah. House Hunters. I'm so, I'm so good at House Hunters. <laughs> I win that game. I'm like, I know <laughs> it's a, she. Oh no, no, she's not moving to like that place. She needs to be close to her mom.
0: When you were talking about R rated comedies, um, how excited are you for Joyride? That mm. movie looks fantastic.
1: I like like literally, like I it makes me want to explode. I'm so excited. I, think I went the
0: premiere is like next week or something like that in San Francisco or something.
1: Yeah, I was just at um this thing called the Gold Gala for Gold House. Yeah. Um and uh it which is like the Asian power prom basically you, like for you, you so, had
0: some pictures with some pretty big powerhouses yeah like
1: it was I, my mind was blowing because it was literally like every single important powerful Asian in the country was there and so you're just like you're like you're like oh my god that person that person that person that person. not just in the Hollywood but like right in business in government in you know journalism and uh and they had the cast of Joyride and they did like a little you know clip and um they were presenting an award to actually the cast of the Joy Luck Club so it was like equally oh amazing, but I was God. just like, talk I'm about so, cry fest for me. I, I'm so excited to see joy ride. Like R rated female, like Adele Lim is like my hero, like crazy rich Asians, Raya and now joy Like those are the rom-com kids, Disney movie. And now an R rated female comedy with like Asian women. Like that's like the, you know, like,
0: yeah, that, that when that trailer dropped, I, I was completely blown away because it was just, it was Asians, but it was Asian women. Yes in an R-rated comedy that looked like something I wish I had, you know, growing up because like, there's no reason why this movie, you know, a a movie like this couldn't have been made back then. It just, obviously the gatekeepers wouldn't have done it, but (laughs) it would
1: never have been made,
0: but you can't watch that trailer and not think, I don't care what color you are and not think that the thing is funny. Like I've seen some things where like, yeah, like, I, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, I was, I was, I was okay with the cultural impact that mm-hmm. it had, but I couldn't relate to it because they're rich people. I can't, <laughs> I don't, I can't relate to that. Like, I can't relate to going to a different country and, and, and trying to get Michelle Yao to love me. Like, yeah. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. But Joyride, I've been on, you know, a college, uh, a college road trip or something yeah. like that where things go to hell. And to see that happen with Asian women in it was just fucking fantastic. I just, I cannot wait for that movie.
1: Everything I've heard from everyone who's seen it is like, this movie is so funny. It's so good. I'm just, I am so excited to see it. And, and I feel like, it's gonna do well. I feel like the buzz around it is so good because even though theatrical right now is kind of weird, and it's right. you know they only make superhero movies, they don't. Like- yeah,
0: but I'm thirsting <laughs> for stuff like that. Like I love I love comic book movies. I, I'm a mm-hmm. big I'm a big nerd. I mean it's it's called the Nerds United podcast, mm-hmm. so we definitely talk about comic books and fantasy movies. But I've I've been talking to BJ offline about stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm just craving anything that's not a comic book movie right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so
0: like at, you know Joyride when I saw that trailer, I'm like, oh my god, I, when does this come? I got, I'm, I was more excited for Joyride than I was for, for like Ant-Man or any other movie that's come <laughs> out. Uh, that's, that's, you know, considered one of those big tent pole movies. Yeah. I, like, I, I could not believe after I was, I watched that trailer five times the day it debuted because I thought it was hilarious and I couldn't believe that I was actually seeing this on, like, you know, that this movie got made.
1: It's going to um, be amazing. And I'm so stoked because just personally, I have a bunch of R-rated female. <laughs> I have a couple of R-rated female uh Asian centered comedies that uh I would love to get made. Um and just for, you know, and so much of it rides on uh sometimes on bankability of the actors that you can get attached when you're trying to sell a script. And so the fact that there will now that those women in that movie um will then be have been and, and I I do really feel like it's going to be like a big hit movie and so that when they're at that level of success, then we'll get other Asian centered stories greenlit because they're going to be attached to star in them or because someone sees that there's a market for that. And other Asian actresses are going to get the opportunity to be in a movie like that. Um And then there's another movie coming out and I don't remember the name, but she was talking about it at, at the gold gala. um, Sandra Owen, oh Aquafina have a movie coming out together where they play sisters and it's a comedy and, uh and I can't remember the name, but it, I'm like like that, you know. That's gonna right. happen, and there's just so. And I remember actually, like when I saw Always Be My Maybe, like oh, Ali god, Wong, I love and, that movie. In Randall Park, I was like, oh my god, it's an Asian rom com where they're just like, there's so many Asian people that they all get to be humans.
0: I could relate of being more. The one. I could relate more to Randall Park being a stoner trying to find his way in life. <laughs> Versus Crazy Rich Asians, like I, yeah. I, I really related to. Like Always Be My Maybe is such a fant and that I, I was that I was also one of the first albums that I bought in a long time because I couldn't. I was blown away by how good the music was that he was yeah. doing. Yeah, that that he actually you know rapped on. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was fantastic. So yeah, that's that's one of my favorite all time. Uh, I loved it because like
1: you get to have the stoner Asian, you get to have the uptight Asian, you get to have the hippie Asian, you get to have Keanu Reeves the fucking. King of all Asians in my my book, like, (laughs) like,
0: um, they kept that cameo so quiet. And when he showed up, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I had no idea. My mouth just dropped open. I, I, I could like, not believe it.
1: What? I was like, is that really? Like I thought uh, for a second, I was like, that's not him. That's someone that looked and I was like, no, oh my God, that's actually Keanu Reeves.
0: When he cried at the restaurant. Oh my God. I lost it. I lost it. <laughs> to, so to get good. Keanu Reeves in that movie, but then to have him do what he did and then to write a song about punching him. Yeah. That is actually catchy. Just fantastic.
1: It was so uh, And I felt the same way when I watched beef where it was like, when you have that many Asians, it's like it's not about being Asian. It's just about Asians. Yes, you know, like it's yeah. so like yeah. There's the 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 fact that they are Asian is an important part of their characters, and they do reference like the whole like you know we're Asian. But like when there's so many, then it, you just forget all about it. You just forget right. like that. This it's like you know like I said, you've got the criminal Asian, you've got the Christian Asian, you've got the like you know, this, all different types of Asians in a storyline. So whereas historically it's like, Oh, you get one, you're, <laughs> you know, you got one and that one has to represent fucking everything. And so then you get yeah. criticized. If they're, if they're the nerd, then you're being stereotypical. But if they're like the hippie, then you're like not being real or they're the, You know, like, right. you know, there was just so much pressure on trying to put everything. And I was always trying to sneak, like, even, cause I always wrote for white characters cause I wanted to get paid. You know, because they weren't, you know, like I got to make a living. So they're making movies. But, you know, I mean, believe me, when when I sold Borington, I was shocked. I was like, we were literally just using it as a I
0: want to see that as an R rated TV show on Netflix. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Like when you're talking about like like the comedies, the R rated comedies, the something something about it wasn't a pitch from you. It was just like you just described it. And I I saw the I saw the show or I saw the movie. Like I just saw, I saw you, an Asian person coming, having to come back and cause I've done it. I had to go back and live at my, at my parents house at one point after college and all that stuff. I thought, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh crap. I can relate to that too. Like I, I saw the show or the movie. Like I, I would love to see an R rated version of that one. I I'm all a, about anything. Maybe
1: I do have I, an R, I have an R rated like cause. I have an R rated show that I'm sort of developing in my head that I'm working on an idea. That's more of a edgier, um, darker comedy.
0: Well, when it that... gets sold, I want you to come back home.
2: Yeah. When
0: it gets made on Netflix, I want to, I want to yeah. binge it and then we can talk <laughs> about it. Well, I want, I want to get, uh, I uh, thank you so much for telling me so much, uh, I feel like the show can be like two hours long and we're almost at an hour. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I, I do want to talk about the movie. That's the whole yes. purpose of being here, yes. but so your, your life is just fantastic. It's just fascinating to talk about because we didn't even get to talk about your parents.
2: Yeah. And I know. anybody That's who,
0: anybody who wants to know, go read the pop sugar article that she, that Irene wrote. And it's, it's fantastic. It, it's fantastic. And then actually, I don't know which one you should do first. Should you watch the movie first or read the article? <laughs>
1: I mean, the, the, what happens in the article is very different than whatever, what ends up happening in the book. I mean, in the movie. Well, no, it, like, it is yeah.
0: different, but I, the influences, like I could yeah. see, like, as I'm reading the article, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of that. That's there. That's there. Um, l- well, let's, let's talk about the movie. Um, okay. it really felt like Vietnam was a character in the movie. Is that how you wrote the screenplay? Like, I, actually, you know what? I think you might be the first screenwriter that we've ever had on the show. So, this is fascinating to me. So, I get to ask the question that I've always wanted to ask screenwriters okay. um, How much of what goes on? Like, is there, when you watch a movie, like your movie's being made uh, for whoever, Netflix or Hallmark or Lifetime, is there something that you fight for that doesn't get left out? And then you watch the movie and you're like, man, I really wish they left the stuff here. Is there like always a constant back and forth. And are you one of the screenwriters? Cause I'm a huge fan of the office. And you know, if you watch, if you listen to the office ladies podcast, they talk about the creative process on that show. And it's so collaborative. Like mm-hmm. Greg Daniels would force actors or screenwriters to actually uh act on the show mm-hmm. and actually be present on the show. And obviously with the strike coming on right now, there's a lot more stories that I've heard about from before that are coming to light where screenwriters on the show or writers on the show or or a movie saves money because that's their, it's their thing that you're trying to film. So were you on on all the movies that you did, were you on set for all of those or was it just once you, I'm I'm going to dispel a
1: whole, there's like, okay. So for TV and features, totally different worlds. And TV is a writer's medium because they are also the producers. So they have control, they have power. The directors kind of come in and out every episode. Usually they've changed or historically, this is how it's been. And so the writers really are in control and you do control the story. And, and clearly, like if you're on, then there's a whole writing room and you work together and you collaborate and, um, and one person might get credit, but you've all sort of worked together on, on that script in features. It's totally different. Writers have pretty much no power at all unless you're like maybe maybe even if you're maybe you're like aaron sorkin like maybe you're at like that level like you have more saying things but then by that point you're also a producer so you have control but like just as a writer there are m- multiple movies that i've written where it's like you hand in the final draft and then that's the last you hear of it until it airs you don't the director doesn't talk to you the producer the actors like you're not on set like you have they can change you they can you can be rewritten you can do whatever they want to your script and you have zero control over any of it. So, mm-hmm. um, if you have any more input than that, you're really lucky, I think. Um, and so it's sort of, uh, there's been a range of it on, um, on the movies that I've written, but, uh, for, for this particular one for a tourist guide to love, it actually started out from the very beginning, um, I was working with Rachel Lee Cook to develop this. We had connected through the production company who I had worked with in the past and they were looking, Netflix was looking to do um, another rom-com project with Rachel and the original idea that they had for her sort of fell apart. And so then Rachel and I started talking and uh, I gave her a couple different ideas. Um, And one of them was a woman's safe, stable boyfriend breaks up with her right before she goes on a trip to Vietnam where she learns to, and like find adventure and follow her heart like that like literally that's like what i gave them um and they were like yeah let's do this one this sounds great and i was stoked because i was like yeah i want to write a movie about vietnam and maybe i'll get to go to vietnam and visit the set you know and then uh sort of developed the storyline of oh well there's going to be you know like the the bus tour and and her falling in love with the tour guide and at that point because rachel is a white woman um it was really important for me for representation that the male romantic lead be Vietnamese and be Asian. And instead of it just being like to like her falling in love with, because my husband's white, you know, so I didn't want it. I wanted to flip that and make sure that, that we had that, you know, representation. And also cause I want to create sexy Asian leading men because <laughs> again, historically underrepresented American culture, <laughs> Right. Um where Asian men are not typically seen as uh sexy, that was another thing that I wanted to make sure that this movie uh sort of expressed and so then I came up with the the storyline and we pitched it to Netflix and they bought it and uh and then I wrote you know you know, and then I write the script and you do like multiple drafts, and they give you these notes and you make these changes and and it changed a lot the uh I mean, the heart of it was always the same, but like, you know, originally there was a scene in Dalat in the mountains and a scene in Nha at the beach. And then it was like, oh, well, we can't film there or, or we think it would work better if we went here. And so then you end up in Hoi An. And then there's a different scene where it's supposed to be here and it's supposed to be there. And then because of production or because of like, for story reasons, there's lots of different reasons why it keeps getting sort of shifted around um, in terms of the location. But the, the main story stayed the same. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, we're going to, they need to have a scene where they do this and it was supposed to be in Delat, but now we're going to move it to Hoi An. And now we're going to have, you know, instead of their bus breaking down on the side of the road, they're going to do this instead. Um, so yeah, a lot of things change and then you bring the director on and then you bring, like, so it's, and then you actually go into production and things change. Um, so as, so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that it's hard because you read reviews and they have these criticisms and sometimes it's just something that you had no control over and it was not your choice. And so I, at this point, I never blame a bad movie on the writer, honestly, ever. Cause we've gotten to a point where, I mean, this is not a hundred percent. Cause I'm sure there's some shitty ass writers out there who get their movies made,
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> but if it's a
1: shitty script, it's probably because they had to make it that way. Like it mm. starts, it starts as early as, the outline as the concept as what you're pitching as right. the like whatever like with other do you have no like i said no control no power you're just trying to get paid you're trying to get your stuff made you're trying to tell at least part of the story that you want to tell so you're willing to take all of these notes you're willing to make all of these changes and you try to make them in a way that you're proud of and make them in the best way that you can but you don't have any control over that so if a producer says they want an alien hooker in your <laughs> like sweet you know dramatic like love story then you're like okay yeah sure i can i can write an alien hooker in this no problem like if that's (laughs) if that's what's gonna get it made right
2: right. that's
1: what you gotta do and so it can be hard as a writer to when people are watching it or criticizing it and being like that's that wasn't me that wasn't my choice (laughs) they told me i had to do that like i had they rewrote that line they rewrote that scene i didn't write that scene you know like they did this, that wasn't my joke, you know, like, that wasn't like, it wasn't that, you know, like, so but at the same time, I'm proud of it I I think it did turn out really well there are things that I would have done differently, and things that I wish were a little bit different but, overall, I am very happy with how it came out, and I think that the central, the heart of it, is the heart of what I wanted to tell, which was it's the first American movie about Vietnam that's not about the war
2: Hmm.
1: As far as I know, and someone can fact check. I keep saying this, and no one has fact checked me yet. But it's like there has never been a movie, an American movie, about Vietnam that's not about the war, and that's why we were the first movie, basically, to film in Vietnam.
0: Yeah, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head.
1: Because there is it. Because Americans only think about Vietnam. In terms of the war. That's all right. they think about. Now right. maybe these days they might think about fa <laughs> Some people <laughs> might like that's like the other way the that food, right? Yeah. Just like the food, food, right? Yeah. Just the food, not the people. Or like, oh, and that
0: Well, how do you think the food gets made, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, oh, because the people came over during war.
0: Two of um, my favorite lines in the movie uh is well, one of them's not yours, but it's placed. Uh was the plug for May the Force Be With You yours?
1: No. No. Fun.
0: Okay. The <laughs> other one was I think I know a guy. Oh yeah, that was good. <laughs> okay, that was my "May the Force Be with You" is just my nerd, but I think I know a guy was one of my favorites because that's basically how the movie ends, and it was yeah. like a, a great. I love callbacks, things that are things that are just strategically yeah. placed in a movie or in its in a screenplay, yeah. and then they you forget about it, and then they come back. Yeah.
2: And like, so that I was like one that. of my favorite
0: lists. Yeah. 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 I know and that's a guy. Actually-
1: that's actually, uh, uh, my husband, it's a joke because my husband used to, when we were living in Rhode Island, uh, and you're like trying to buy seafood or something, he was like, we used to joke like, I know a guy who knows a guy who has crabs. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you could buy crab. And he'd always be like, I know a guy. I know a guy. Right. I know a guy who knows a guy, you know, like, right. and so that line originally was sort of, or that idea that, you know, the main character knows a guy was, uh, based off of, cause, and, and especially like, because it's so funny because someone was like, oh, that's so Vietnamese. And I was like, it's actually from my Canadian husband. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it's so funny because people have their own interpretations of, like, when they watch something of, like, right. what they think it means or where the inspiration must be from or it must be this or that. And it's like, that wasn't what it was from. But, like, whatever you interpret it as, is like, that to me is what art is. It's not about necessarily, like, what the artist is putting out there it's it's what you receive it's the same thing with food it's like if you don't like the way something tastes that's not the fault of the chef it's just it's no one's fault it's just you like different things or you interpret you this is too spicy for you but for someone else it's just right so you're watching a movie especially with comedy right like some people could watch a movie and be like that was the funniest thing i've ever seen and another person is like that movie was not funny at all It's like sexual attraction. Like this person's so hot and someone's like, no way. Like everyone has their own personal sort of interpretations of things. And so for me, the only thing that I want, like if people want to judge this movie as a rom-com and criticize it as a rom-com, I'm, I'm fine with that. You come at me, like say, you know, whatever New York times, you're going to tear it apart and say it's like the worst rom-com, you know, it's predictable, it's formulaic. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's a rom-com. And that's what people want. That's what the audience actually wants. They want a little bit of formula. They want a little bit of predictability. And it was also very specifically in the light rom-com sort of genre box. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't – the stakes aren't going to be as high. The complications aren't going to be as difficult. Right. But as long as people watch this movie and get a sense of love of Vietnam – love for Vietnam or, or, or an understanding that Vietnam is not just a country of war, that uh, it's not, that it's not a war story. That's a love story. Like for me, as long as that comes through, as long as someone watches this and thinks they might be like, Oh, this is a horrible rom-com, but Vietnam looked amazing. I want to go to Vietnam now. That was my thing. That to be able to present Vietnamese people as something beyond a victim, something beyond a villain as not a beggar or a whore or a peasant or a soldier like that, Is the, for this movie, that's what matters to me.
0: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was saying in the beginning where I was like the, it felt like, it felt like Vietnam was a character in the show. Like it was just portrayed beautifully with the scenery, the culture, the food, obviously, like, um, the scene where they're all dancing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, after they've eaten that amazing looking food, I wanted to see how that food was actually getting made. But I know that was a bit, <laughs> that would have been a stupid scene, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> a stupid porn. scene to put in a movie. But yeah, but for me, I would have been like, I wanted to see how that's made because, like, one of my favorite movies is that movie Chef with uh, yeah. John Favreau. Yeah. Um. Uh. So you should check out. By the
1: way, you should check out Hunger on Netflix, which is a Thai movie. Okay. Um. About a chef and the like. Yeah. If you're into like food and movies about food and how it's made, like. Definitely
0: check that out. I, I, we're, we're getting like long here, but because there's, so <laughs> there's so much stuff I want to, there's so much stuff I want to talk to you about. Like we didn't even get to the writer's strike yet. Yeah. I, I, there's, I, so as soon as I see Rachel Lee Cook in the credits, like as that's, that's the main lead, I'm like, all right, well, this is a rom-com. And I was thinking it would be pretty funny if they had a she's all that moment and they did the, the but director had kind her. of what's that? <laughs>
1: But for her or for him? Oh, no, she's all that when she comes out in that. Yeah,
0: yeah. In the blue dress, which, by yes. the way, is a, is a really gorgeous blue dress. And it it looks great on her. Uh, uh You know, <laughs> I thought it would have been me and BJ were talking about the movie off air and offline and saying, like, if Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> was cast as the ex-boyfriend. Oh, the ex-boyfriend, in the, yeah. 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 Instead, <laughs> would, they have, would you have been open to calling it She's All That Too Vietnam Boogaloo?
1: I I don't know that we would have we would have uh, been able to go there, and probably it would have been a little distracting from um, <laughs> from the movie to to pull that off. But um, yeah, no, I mean, she I have to say she's wonderful. Like anyone who's a fan of her is like you should be because she is not just she's a great very actress. charming.
0: She's she very is very charming.
1: A wonderful person. Like our friend, our our daughters are friends. Like they play date now because they visited the set at the same time, and That's she was so a producer. Great. She's not just she's not just like a, a vanity producer, like a star who's like, their name is the producer. Like she does the work. She is involved, her creative thoughts, her work ethic, like she all the way through. And she also was just, and everyone, I have to say, like everyone who worked on this project, so mindful of making sure that it was culturally authentic and representative and um not offensive. And that it like, and that it portrayed and captured the beauty of Vietnam and, so it wasn't just like a, like certain other movies that I've seen that have been like set in these other countries and supposedly about these cultures, but you can tell it's literally just a backdrop and they don't really care about presenting any of these characters as right, developed. Right. Um everyone was wonderful and like Steven Tsuchita, the director is amazing and our cinematographer, John, and like th- that's why it looks so beautiful is like, the right. two of them or what made it so beautiful and the soundtrack and using the Vietnamese artists. Um, it like the whole and the, you know, the PR team at like, they just sent me to Vietnam for a week long. We did a week long press tour in Vietnam. And so did a, a screening of it at the, um, at the Hanoi opera house with the U S ambassador and the Vietnamese minister of culture. And they're giving these speeches about how this movie is going to change the perception of Vietnam in the world. And about soft power and the ways in which, um, perception and and pop culture can, can make actual change and the economic impact that this movie is going to have on Vietnam and the millions and millions and millions of dollars that I expect it to bring in in tourism and how that is going to change lives. And just, it was, it was wild to me because when I sold it, I was just happy to sell something. I was just happy to like get a movie on Netflix, right? Like, but now that people have seen it, the reception of it has been like, it's, it's mine. Like I was the the reception from the Vietnamese community. I can't tell you how many messages, hundreds of messages I've gotten from people in the Vietnamese community or in person that I've met who have just been like, thank you. Thank you so much. You don't understand how much this means to our community. Like what you have done, what you have done for our community to be seen this way, just personally for them to like, See themselves on screen to see their culture represented on screen in a positive way. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in, when I was in Saigon, I was at a coffee shop and I had my tourist guide to love, you know, tote bag that they had given me and my waitress saw it and was like, Oh, I just saw that last night. Like I loved it. And I was like, well, I, you know, I wrote it Mm -hmm. and she was like, and she pulls me into this hug and she starts crying and she was like thank you so much like you don't understand what this means and i feel so, i've never felt so proud to be vietnamese and it was just like it's just been like in so many times like people have said that to me and i was like oh my god i had no i had no idea and and, and so being someone you know who as half vietnamese and growing up in an all white town and not speaking vietnamese i've always felt um not v- not vietnamese enough you know, right, right. like, I've always sort of struggled with my identity of, like, who I am and what, where my place is. And so to be able to be the one that does this for the Vietnamese community is so, like, empowering. And I'm so grateful. And and, and also the ways that this movie has gotten me connected to so many more people in the Vietnamese community, like, through its release and everyone I meet in, in the Vietnamese film community and the support that I've gotten from them um has just, like, opened up my world so much and I just feel so proud and I'm so excited that this could possibly open doors for other Vietnamese stories and other Vietnamese storytellers and I have so many ideas that I want to you know set in Vietnam or set here that like center Vietnamese um characters and and other Asian stories and um so yeah like it's it's wild like I'm like I mean, it's number one in the world right now.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite, did you, did you write the scene where they go to the market, that market in there? Yeah. Or was that, that was, yeah. Cause that, so like there's like things that are kind of universal when it comes to like Asian people, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've been to Hong Kong. I went to Hong Kong one and only time. The first and only time was when I was in college. So I didn't, I was an idiot. I didn't appreciate going there, but the markets that are there.
2: Incredible.
0: Yeah. And so when, When they go to the market and she's, you know, she's falling in love with that phoenix scarf, the market is what I was like. This is fucking amazing. Like it's it. It's like one of those things where you were talking about earlier, where you can bring Asian culture into it without shoving it in your face. It's just it's just there. They just go to the market and they're just visiting. Oh, by the way, I kind of want to see the movie of the two teenagers falling in love. So just saying. (laughs) Those two teenagers in the movie kind of, I was like, that's a kind of interesting Dude, side story going on there.
1: I, I pitched a sequel. They don't make sequels to rom-coms. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I know. I have, so I want sequels. I want Banoi to have her own movie. Uh, I yeah. want the, actually the cousin, um, An, she's yep. amazing. I love her. I liked and her too. Yeah. Tran, I was like, I want to make a movie about her. So it's yeah. like, she's in Vietnam and like she's, you know, like there's just like, I feel like every character in that movie could have their own
2: <laughs>
0: spin-off. Yeah. Yeah, but the, series yeah i i liked everybody in and, and i for some reason i gravitated a little bit towards the two teenagers for yeah. some reason it just i don't know it was just really cool that the 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 side story going on there um i do want to be able to get you to plug any upcoming projects or your website or anything that you want to talk about right now um you know feel free to plug something
1: i don't really have like i said we're on strike right now so
0: like, well, I don't, yeah.
1: I we're on strike and everything else is in development and I can't talk about it. So it's like, okay. everything's on hold. So there, there's nothing there most likely will be another lifetime Christmas movie. Feel free to go check out. Um, uh, I say I did it. I did 12 days of Christmas Eve with, uh, Kelsey Grammer. Yep. I did uh Christmas, Christmas spark with Seymour and then and the sugar, and spice. Uh, sugar and spice holiday, which was the first Asian centered, uh, Christmas cable movie ever. Where it was like the whole not just one Asian character. Um, someday I'm gonna write something for Perry. I've got a idea for like a a a romantic comedy sort of with a uh, Perry and tai Ma that um <laughs> develop with them.
0: I um, love meeting somebody like Perry because he plays the only time the I criminal I was, and the
1: thug all right. The
0: time. And I'm like, and then you talk to him. I'm like, wow, you are a fantastic actor.
1: <laughs> he's a, he's like the most zen, pacifist yeah. Yeah. person ever, and he always plays these bugs. Father dogs.
0: June could not be further away from Perry. Totally. And when you, because you, as badass as Father June is, and, and and as as hardcore as he is, Perry seems like just such a down to earth like just gentle soul yeah. and father june is just this hard-ass <laughs> criminal it's like that to me is just fantastic acting where he's just so different from his character uh he's such a and obviously i I follow him on on all of his social media and i just love just his vibe everything that he's doing for the asian community all the lgbtq community all of that stuff it just mm-hmm. i just love his whole his whole vibe um, yeah. with it. So it, it, it makes sense it's funny. that you two. I mean, we, both,
1: we both started out at the same time. Like he sort of made the decision to go into sort of more commercial acting. He'd been doing theater and experimental theater and performance stuff. Um, around the same time that I was pursuing my screenwriting career. And so it's been just really funny because like it is funny when like people like find out that you're, and it's like, no, cause then they think that's why you like the whole like Nepo baby and it's like, or like they're like, Oh, well, cause your brother in law is an act like, of course, because your brother in law is famous, and I was like, "Nah, like <laughs> it's not like it was not like that," you know. Like right, we were both right. like, ri- you know, rising up together, and so it's been wonderful. I actually wrote the part that Ty Ma played in my Christmas movie, Sugar and Spice Holiday. I wrote for Perry, oh. and it's based on. It's actually named Peter Young after his brother in law, um, okay. my brother, uh, my Perry's brother, um, who's like this Asian, amazing Asian cowboy, um, but not really, but a firefighter. Like it's like, but I named him Peter Young, and. I was like, and Perry was going to play him, but then, or in my mind, um, but then co- it was during COVID. They filmed it during COVID. And so it was, mm. oh, and it was up in Canada. So, um, and Ty Ma happened to be in Canada and they submitted, they told me that they submitted it to him and I knew that Perry knew him. So Perry actually reached out to him and was like, hey, Ty, like my sister-in-law, um, you know, wrote this movie. And I was like, ooh, Ty Ma, I was like, sorry, Perry, upgrade. <laughs> Like no offense yeah, or anything, but like
0: yeah, we're t- we're talking you know, about an, we're talking about an Asian legend there, I know
1: It's like, know. uh, I'm gonna go with Tai ma like, <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks
2: for the hookup. But <laughs> yeah uh,
0: that, that that's a i mean that if yeah i mean, and I love his character on kung fu too, like yeah. uh, I, I just love his I love his character on kung fu um well i when we did, do we, this one
1: thing the one thing that I wanted to plug, yeah it's not mine, but so we we're talking about my mom a little bit, yeah. my mom's like this amazing badass kick ass woman. And she wrote a memoir called Crossing the Bamboo Bridge, um, Memoirs of a Bad Luck Girl. And it's available on Amazon. Her name is Mai Donahue. And she also wrote a cookbook called My Goodness, M-A-I Goodness. That's her brand. Um, And if anyone is interested in reading a story of just the most badass woman, and it's all about her life in Vietnam and how she fell in love with my dad. And someday I'm going to adapt it into a movie. So it is technically, like, hopefully. <laughs> but check that out because she i will say this
0: after reading your article everybody needs to go read this book if you don't believe me <laughs> go read the article and pop sugar and just just be blown away by the love story that happens there not just yours but hers yeah. so like if that if you're telling me that expands on that story that in your in your yeah. article it's going to be a fascinating tale it's, a, it's, it's a just amazing yeah. yeah so
1: check so check that out if you if you want more
0: <laughs> that's amazing because that that blew me away reading that article about your mom and and her yeah, her, her life the, she
1: is the strongest woman i've ever met and she's also the most loving with everything she's ever been through and all the hardships that she's ever she just keeps coming out and it's just like oh but i'm so grateful but i'm like so you know and she's just like this little yo she's like a little vietnamese yoda she just like spreads wisdom and like million like not million like all these people that i meet the who know my mom they're like your mom saved my life your mom changed my life your mom like talking because she used to work at the high school and she worked with all the kids with like behavioral disorders and stuff and right. they and she would just like set them straight and so all these people are like your mom you know she's just like this beautiful wonderful soul and i want everyone to we're right. trying to make her famous.
0: <laughs> from from what I've said from like I said, if you read the article, you will understand why everything you just said makes total sense. Yeah. Because you, to change that many lives, you've had to been in the shit. And yeah. and she was in the shit from just a small part that you told me in that arc told us in the article is just mm-hmm. it's fantastic. So definitely go check out that stuff. Yeah. Uh two things before we go. So okay. there's this uh, every 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 interview we ever do we always ask three questions. We call it the big finish. Okay. And everybody gets the same questions and it's interesting for us to see the the different answers. So which is why it, it's like our version of Inside the Actors Guild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh but we don't do favorite curse word cuz but cuz motherfucker okay, so, is
1: clearly the best.
0: So Yeah, anything where Perfect. there's like a hard C or an F for yeah. a curse word, it's yeah. it's pretty good. Um all right. So the big finish. Here we go. The first question is all-time favorite character f- can be from any genre.
1: All-time favorite character. Oh, God. I should have done more research on this because then I would have been prepared uh, for the well, answers. Po- <laughs> the point is
0: not to be prepared. <laughs>
1: I know. Um, oh, now I can't think of anything. Who are my like heroes and characters? I mean, I'm just going to go because we were talking about it earlier, but like I'm going with sloth from the Goonies. That's okay. That's okay. going to be Okay. That's going to um, be mine, Sloth from the Goonies.
0: <laughs> okay, so the follow-up question to that is what would you get Sloth as a birthday present? A baby Ruth. <laughs> that's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> that's too obvious, right? <laughs> obvious. All right, next question, next question. Uh what are you watching right now as far as like, you know, TVs, uh documentaries anything any shows that you're binging right now um
1: i have one episode left on beef and uh i'm really i'm just loving that show uh also another one that i'm uh loving is shrinking um uh, with, uh, harrison with, Jason ford, right? with harrison and harrison ford it yeah. is so good and it was created by uh brett goldstein or he's one of the creators bill lawrence right. and brett goldstein and um, who is Roy Kent on Ted Lasso, which is another favorite. So shrinking. Um, I just finished watching the first season of the new Rob Lowe show with his son, uh on oh, okay. yeah. on Netflix, yeah. which I loved. It's really funny. Um and it's really like clever and lightweight and the type of show that i can watch at the end of the night that's not like put me in a put me in a dark place yeah beef i had to watch during the day by the way right, I right. To, like i was like i can't watch this after bed i have to watch it during the day um because it was it's 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 intense um but yeah that's uh those in the past couple of weeks that's what okay. i watching.
0: So if amy from beef uh was dating somebody from friends who would it be
2: um i mean most likely, it would probably be Ross. Like
1: you know, he had that Asian thing, and um, <laughs> that's right. He did he had that Asian girlfriend, right? right. And uh, I uh, and she would like boss the shit out of him. Right. He would, like he's he's sort of the friend's version of her husband in beef. Right. So I would I would see that. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. All right. Last one. Yep. Top three movies, favorite top three movies of all time. And this one is the one that really stumps usually people because if you're like me, the movies always change depending on your mood.
1: Yeah. Um, but like all time, let me see. One straight off the bat, the princess bride. Good um, choice. that was, that's like a lifelong sort of have seen it a million times. Yep. Um, uh, bridesmaids. One of my favorites. Uh and let me see. Going life lifetime like what have I watched a million times that could watch a million or actually not necessarily sometimes I guess you don't have to watch a movie a million times. There's different versions of of what um could be your favorite, but I'm trying to think of like the old school ones. Um oh I mean fuck Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> like, right? Like, go. if I if I could, I've pitched a couple of ver- like kids movies that are like a version of Goonies. But then they did Finding Ohana. Have you seen right. that? No, it's not yet. Like, uh, it's like a female centered Hawaiian Goonies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it has I, all I of that. I haven't seen it yet. It's it's in my queue for my kids to yeah, to watch definitely. it with me.
1: Yeah, um, I, my daughter <clears> loves it. So I know that's the other thing. It's hard for me because I'm like mostly I just watch kids movies. like. <laughs> Like the movies that I watch, like I, like are all kids movies or, um, you know, we've actually just started watching sort of more of the, the Marvel movies with her. Right. Um, it's,
0: it's daunting to get into the MCU.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's I was really always daunting. a big, like, Star Wars fan. Star Wars was huge in my family. Like it was the first movie yeah. I ever saw. I was a month old and my dad took us to the, um, drive-in theater. Okay. And actually, so this is a kind of crazy story. My dad, who was a, he was a financial advisor to raise his kids. But before that he was a poet and he had, before he went to war, he won this uh, poetry award the same year as Charles Bukowski, he was going to be this like great American poet. And then he had six kids in seven years and uh, couldn't, but um, he saw this movie. He saw star Wars was so blown away by it. But, and at that point, no one knew there was a sequel, much less a gajillion TV shows that were going to be created out of this world. Um, So he wrote a, a sequel. To, he wrote a screenplay, he'd never written a screenplay, he wrote a sequel to Star Wars called Children of the, uh, Children of the Green Moon or something like that. I don't know where it's like, He had, there were a lot of kids because he had a lot of kids, right? right, <laughs> right, <just> right. <laughs> and then anyway, he looked up in the, um, the yellow pages and he found George Lucas's address and he sent it to George Lucas and George Lucas sent him back a letter saying like, thank you for your interest and everything, but we actually it's all planned out. Like there's a, there's already a sequel storyline or Please something. Please Tell like
0: that. me he still has that letter.
1: He doesn't. Cause I got it. Oh God. <laughs> like, Somebody has that letter. <laughs> it had, like, I found it years ago, but then like, so my dad has Parkinson's and dementia. And so like, he's in a home now and like, but things had been moved around my parents' house and I, and I couldn't find it. And then my mom finally found it. And I was like, Oh my God. And so like, I have it. And, I need to get it framed. But it's yeah. like, and it's on like, Skywalker Letterhead.
0: Oh my god. like It's like
1: I, the coolest thing. I'm gonna screenshot to it. I'm gonna screenshot and I'll, it screenshot and, I'll, and I'll, it. I'll, I'll like text it to you. Like I am was like, Oh my god, that's so it's awesome. Like, it's just like so it's in my blood, man. Like that someday I want to. That would never, meet that would never happen
0: today. That would never <laughs> know, happen today. You can't, you can't but
1: there's that. your right. in. There's your I know. in to talk to George Lucas. To George Lucas, I'm gonna be like, My dad, you know, wrote you this letter and everything. Right. And so it's just been so amazing I need to work I need to work on a Star Wars movie. I'm gonna try to manifest that nobody that has ever be.
0: done a romantic star wars comedy yet
1: <laughs> romantic. they should they you've got to get that
0: right get that in there a star nobody's wars. ever done it yet nobody's ever done it yet why or not be
1: like a maybe a romantic comedy with like star wars like super fans you know like with like <laughs> right. a
0: right right a, 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 like, a, like
1: cosplay like they're at comic-con
0: <laughs> that would be awesome that'd be awesome
1: <laughs> like a the the romantic comedy we've we've always wanted
0: out of um, all right i got one last thing and then i'll let you go because i've taken up so much time of yours um and i I seriously i have so many more notes that we could have we could do a part two i know whatever you. i
1: could yeah, i could talk for hours people are always like oh if i'm like oh i'll talk about myself for
0: hours <laughs> <laughs> so everybody who's ever come on the first of the guest uh we always give them if you haven't noticed the our, our logo is stick figures It's because I can't draw for shit. And so when we were coming up with logos, I was like, it'd be pretty funny if we just did, (laughs) you know, stick figures. So, you know, I'm with the lightsaber with the, with the slanty, with the slanted eyes. And Mm -hmm. my friend is over here. Uh, BJ, uh, who's Jewish has a star David (laughs) on his shirt and the, (laughs) uh, chainsaw from, uh, Ash, uh, evil dead uh movies um so what we what we started do or what I started doing was i i I find it fascinating I always wanted to do something different with shows uh with with our show, mm-hmm. and so one of the things that I've always done was make sure that every person who comes on on an interview uh gets their own stick figure oh. <laughs> So this, let me just remove, uh, this thing right here. So oh, now that you can you. see it. So this is your stick Isn't figure. In
1: the, the, in the Rachel Lee cook. From yeah. the movie. Yeah.
0: It's I even got your hair. Yeah. Um, you got
1: the side shave. And color. I could
0: not for the life of me find that damn Phoenix scarf. Um, so <laughs> well, I had to actually, had to find something it's not close quite to.
1: this Phoenix scarf, but in the swag bags, from, um, in Vietnam, like at the press stuff, they would give out these like swag bags and we have the, the Saigon Silver Star tote bag. And yeah. then inside it, we got, uh, a, a scarf and it's not the Phoenix, but it's like basically the same pattern, but just not yeah. a Phoenix, but it's like, Oh, it's the scarf from, uh, we so it's like, yay, I get the scarf. Cause I were watching it the last time being like, oh, I wish I had that Phoenix scarf. They should merch yeah. this stuff. They really should put it out I there. I
0: searched the internet that took up the most time was trying to find <laughs> that a scarf. Phoenix.
1: I know. Right. I told I told the marketing people. I was like, you need to put up some merch. Like people, <laughs> people would buy these tote bags and and the scarves and stuff, and the dresses, the fashion. Everyone's always like, I love her. Every every outfit she wears. Where can I find them? I'm like I don't right. know. But I would recommend going and checking out the soundtrack. Spotify uh, created a playlist, like an official tourist guide to love playlist, because the music is awesome. It's I did, so I good. Did,
0: I did really like the music, in, and especially
1: the- um, my favorite is Emily Vu, who is. This, um, amazing Vietnamese singer-songwriter, and I was a fan of hers, and I recommended her to the director, being like, you need to, for the soundtrack, if there's any way you could use any one of her songs, her, the vibe of her music very much, you know, fits our movie, and, and her song, um, Changes is the one that they're playing, um, like sort of in the lead up to the Tet scene. And, uh, and she's, but like everyone, the whole, the music people, the music supervisors and the composers, like everyone who created the music on this did such an amazing job. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Check that out. Definitely. Definitely. Erin, uh, thank you so much <laughs> for, you. for talking with us today, to talking with me today. Cause BJ is not here, but, <laughs> but, uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, you're welcome to come back on anytime. Yeah. Um, if you want to come back on, if the writer strike is still going on in a, in a week yeah. or two, please <laughs> oh, by all means to come back on. It's
2: going
1: to go on for a while. Just uh, heads up. Yeah.
0: Well, just know that me and DJ support that whole <laughs> th- the entire movement. Like it. I, I, I think you. I think you saw it, but like I was saying, like you know, the last time we had a writer strike, Michael Bay turned the Autobot Matrix of leadership into the strap on from Seven. <laughs> And then yeah. put Sam with Wiki into Transformers Heaven. Like, <laughs> god damn it, pay the writers. So they yeah, don't get that. I know. Not that Michael Bay is even with good writers. I mean, Michael <laughs> Bay had the writers from Star Trek. So again, speaking yeah. to what you're talking about, if the movie sucks, it's usually it's not, not the, the
1: writer's sp- fault. Yeah. All you have to
0: do is look at <laughs> a movie are- from Michael Bay or Zack Snyder and yeah. you can understand that's it's not, it's not the
1: writer's fault. fault. So, they're just doing what they were told. Right. Right. <laughs> just or they're put- insurance. Put-
0: or that's like here's the cheat sheet. Don't screw it up, and you yeah. still fail the test.
1: No, we're um, all just trying to make our health insurance, basically, <laughs> like we're just trying right. to pay the rent and uh, do everything. But yeah, no, it's um, it's not the reality of of the screenwriting profession. It's a dream job, but it's still a job, and uh, and there's a lot of stuff that people have no idea about, and there's a lot of the ways that writers get treated and the lack of respect that people have for writing that is frustrating is incredibly frustrating because it's like, yeah, we wrote all of that. Like you wouldn't even have that movie. And they right. don't like, they don't put the credits. Like when you go to this Netflix screen or something and it says the movie and it's like, they list the cast and the director yeah. on that front screen. Right. And there's no writer. Or right. if you're reading an article about it, they'll mention the director and and then there's no writer. And if they right. even refer to the script, they just talk about like, oh, in the week script. And they don't even like say your name. Like, <laughs> like the writer right. never gets credited. There's never like, oh, this is a, like but we're like, but this wouldn't if like we right. created all of that? Like we wrote that. You wouldn't yeah. have any of these shows, you wouldn't have any of these things if you, you would have
0: nothing. You, you wouldn't even have award even shows because all of those are getting cancelled now too.
1: Yeah. And even like reality shows are like semi scripted by like technically they're called producers, but they're basically story editors that right. create those storylines, you know? And so yeah, it's uh, a little frustrating, but uh well,
0: but it's good. As I've got as I've gotten older and more more knowledgeable about the industry and, and learning more and more. Um, the things I usually get excited about, like, are, are two things is first is who's directing it and who's, and then who wrote it? Like mm-hmm. who, like if it's a major 10 poll, I'm like, all right, well, who's writing it? Yeah. Like, and then if it's somebody who wrote, I don't know, one of Michael Bay's movies, I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I'm not sure about that. But you know, like well, now for, you know that it
1: was that they're probably actually very probably wasn't well because like
0: I, I've always kind of known that with Michael Bay because he yeah. had he's had good writers who yeah. have done fantastic things, but that's because somebody else directed them, right? Yeah. So like if you get the good screenwriter from like you know early Star Trek or or whatever, and then yeah. you put out that it's kind of like the, the two don't the yeah. the two don't mix very well. Something's yeah. something's off, and it's usually it's, the person in charge.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely not the writer because he is definitely <laughs> no. not in charge.
0: Yeah. Uh, Erin, thank you again <laughs> thank so much you. for coming on. Um,
2: no, this I, was I'm going to,
0: I'm going to butcher the ending. So I'm just going to say goodbye. Cause again, <laughs> BJ is the one that does the intro and the outro and I always screw it up. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. I will totally come back on whenever I have. Something new to talk about or if there was like a specific.
0: You don't even effort. have to talk about something new. There, there's literally a half a page of notes that I still have. I still haven't talked about your trip to Vietnam. I still haven't talked about your parents. I really haven't talked too much about the, the, your love story, your specific love story that, that is, is influenced in this, in this movie a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, I got so much more to, t- you don't even have to talk about something new. We could talk about the writer's strike next time. We could talk okay. about your mom. All right. Like we could talk about those two things and I guarantee you'll take a <laughs> hour. Take, yeah.
1: For sure. No problem. I'm Again, down.
0: Let's do thank it. you so much.
1: Thank you <laughs> okay. so much for
0: coming
1: on. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Bye.